The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink. The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, it's no secret that a lot of us got canceled. Those artists, those artists of us that spoke up against, uh, you know, the COVID jabs, questioned Big Pharma, um, used our voices. The blowback was extreme um, and it was isolating and very lonely at first. But then we all started to hang out. We all started to get together and do things like freedom concerts and uh you know out in washington dc and in la defeat the mandate rallies and friendships were spawned we became friends people like uh, my next guest and myself brad skistimus from five times august dickie barrett from uh what are they called the defiant um lots of us became friends became buds and uh the other a few months back we were at another one of these concerts uh, a freedom concert in the uk um jam for freedom and brad and i both played a gig in the uk as well in london in a pub that was well attended um and brad had this idea of doing one of my old songs called in the sun which has the chorus may god's love be with you always and uh, I thought, yeah, why not? Why not put more of that sort of energy into the world, that loving spirit? Five Times August is the solo act of singer-songwriter Brad Skistimus when Brad's full-length album Silent War, a compilation of protest songs aiming at the COVID-era regulations, was released in November 2022. It reached as high as number five on Amazon's best-selling album, sitting between mainstream artist Taylor Swift and Bruce Springsteen. That is a huge achievement. The album also reached number one on Amazon and Apple Music's singer-songwriter and alternative charts. His new single, uh, aside from the one I'm telling you about that we just put out and are going to play, is called Ain't No Rock and Roll, and it takes aim at all the artists that didn't speak out, all the artists that uh, actually enforced their fans to take experimental medical big pharma goo in order to come to their concerts and it's a it's an amazing song ain't no rock and roll and great video but we're also here to talk about in the sun our collaboration brad thank you for coming on how's it going man hey buddy how's it going it's going good i i mean i uh had to you know i'm i should be a complete stress mess right now because i have a flight to ohio after this broadcast my i have like an hour to to gather up uh the rest that i haven't packed yet and get to the airport so it's a red eye for me this evening so i should be a mess but i'm not i feel pretty good i did a good job of sort of packing enough before organizing myself enough before and you know when you're about to go do a gig i'm gonna go do a a day before thanksgiving homecoming show and so you have to rehearse is rehearsal hard for you man i mean when i have to rehearse for a gig it feels i have the exact same feeling as i used to have when i had to study for a test in school as like in high school is that how you deal with rehearsal or do you love it i feel like you're the class valedictorian so you're probably really good at it (laughs) and love it no 
No, I'm oh. not. I, I, I feel the same way about you, actually, because, you know, uh, it, there's an energy that when you're in this in the on the stage with the with the audience that you don't get at home. And so you're you're trying to, you know, make this sort of faux energy to get through the song that you've played, you know, certain songs you've played a lot and certain songs you haven't played a lot. And um, it's it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, I think you described it good there. It's like studying for a test or something. And you just you just kind of don't want to do it. You want to just go do the test and see how you how well you do almost. <laughs> and it's weird because it's music still. And I love mm -hmm. music like I love. I, yeah. It's not a drag for me to write songs. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. I don't write like, you know, I, sometimes I have to kind of push myself in the direction of writing like it's not always like mm. i have boundless inspiration i can't contain that's not the truth but writing itself mm. isn't painful to me it's not this like grueling process and neither really is recording although there are grueling aspects of those things uh in mm -hmm. general they're fun and when you're in the zone of doing them you're like wow i'm doing it i'm doing what i should be yeah. doing and this is great but rehearsal I don't know, yeah. man. That's a that's a, a weird yeah. outlier in the mix. Yeah, I think I think that um, rehearsing music is probably the, my least favorite thing about doing what we do. Like, I love I can sit down and I can write. I love that process, and then I love finishing a song and playing it for the first time and rehearsing it then because it's so fresh and exciting. Right. And um, I love recording it because you're creating a painting and uh, this this audible painting that's going to be enshrined forever, you know. And so there's a there's a process to it that I understand. But if I'm rehearsing, it's like and I sound good, then I'm like uh, I almost am like, dang it, because <laughs> because I'm like I'm not performing for anybody. And then, and then it's like, you know, when I'm who who gets this performance but me and that's the whole idea is like i'm creating this fake performance for nobody to go and do a performance later that might not be as good or might be better or something and it's just like i don't know it's just a weird little thing thrown into the mix of of being an artist but i don't mm -hmm. think that we're cut out for that and may, maybe i would feel better if i had bandmates or something because you yeah. can feed off of each other. But when you're sitting in a room by yourself and just milling around on a guitar and and singing to yourself to make sure you know the words or something, it's a little little uh, mundane and boring. Yeah, it's better with a band for sure. I've had bands and that can be fun um for a start especially if you're like a drinking band or a band that's partying together i've had those moments before mm -hmm. in my life too where it becomes a party <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. that's yeah that's sort of problematic yeah. in its own way but also <laughs> then you know a lot of times you'll have to rehearse right before a flight because the you're going somewhere <laughs> to play and then you also have to pack and then you like leave it to the last minute so you get through like a few yeah. things but you're and you're under rehearsed then you show up at the gig and you're under mm. and you're under prepared that's kind of a bad feeling. yeah that's Have you true too that? oh yeah because especially now because the the venues that i play now aren't your your classic venue 
Like I used to do a lot of college shows and it was one after another and you'd get this rhythm down when you're on tour, you get like this rhythm down that, you know, uh, a week into the tour, you, you hit your, your stride with, with what your banter is going to be and between songs and how to present each song. And, and there's, there's some, there's a pattern that develops there, but the last few years the shows have been rallies and protests and, these different um, events that, um, you know, are for doctors or organizations. So each one has been different. So sometimes, yeah, it's like I, you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I wish I had been better prepared for this <laughs> because yeah. you have to go with it because they're, they're not traditional venues where like you go in for a sound check even. You kind of sometimes you show up and you just play and hope it sounds good and the people are going to uh, respond to it properly. But it's a different yeah, time. It's always interesting. It's interesting when it, it doesn't sound good too. And it, and it almost always is problematic. That's something you always have to endure. Like you can't hear your vocal or you can't hear your guitar. And it's like, you have to just carry on, but you're talking about going to these rallies, meeting these doctors. And I've heard you describe them as like your heroes or rocks, the, the new rock stars. And um, also, you've been talking about the concept I laid out in the intro that, that a lot of us have become friends. That's kind of a, an idea I, I, that you've been talking about a lot. And I got from you. Um, what do you think to that? What do you think of this this uh, this uh, blossoming community that we're in right now? I think it's it's awesome. Actually, I think it's like really exciting and that's coming from somebody who to me being like an 80s 90s kid who really loved that kind of pop culture that we all grew up with and um, you lean back a lot on the music you grew up with and the the staples of certain generations and 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 it's almost like creativity or the artistic realm has in a way run dry in recent times where things are just sort of being recycled and rebooted and, and on the movie front, you know, all these things we grew up, but we can't get past a certain point. But now out of this, um, out of the last few years, this artistic movement that the handful of us that have spoken up, like you said, we've all gotten to know each other now. And that that's really exciting to me because we're, we have this opportunity that I don't think we've really had since maybe the sixties to really impact culture in a extremely important way that we haven't seen in decades um, where there really is a group of new rebellious artists um, that are sort of, I don't even know, you know, I say often, like, my music's not even controversial. It's just anti-establishment. But And so, it, in a way, it's still the same, the same old thing, but you're a bad guy now for saying these things. And, um, but, but it's just an exciting opportunity. So, like, you know, seeing what you're doing and seeing what The Defiant is doing and, um, you know, all our other friends in the movement, um, it's a new opportunity to really create a brand new path in, a, uh, in, in the, uh, the music realm and art and entertainment. 
That's really well said. I, I was just interviewing Madeline Baccaro, Yoko Ono's biographer, uh, right before this, and we were talking about the heyday of rock and roll, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, um, you know, Bob Dylan got mentioned, John Lennon, obviously. And when art did have that sort of feeling of real significance, and it, it has lacked that for some reason. And I think you're right, we're on the the cusp of of a cultural movement that makes it uh seem vital and important because you got all these people like arguing like crazy on x right twitter the twitter wars mm -hmm. and you got spaces where people primarily are talking you know and it's it's a lot up in the head but there's a whole lane for music and for culture that really moves things in a powerful way um, so if you did, like, say, want to write a song of protesting the war now, um, to me, that's a significant thing to do. And and funny, it, it, it relates to the thing I was saying about rehearsing, because I got to go through a lot of my old songs. And some of them are like, you know, I, and we're going to talk about one of my other old songs that we're bringing back to life right now. But some of them are just sort of straight up love songs or you know, I miss you or like, you know, I, I didn't write tons of those, but there are some of those. And it's like, I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to get that excited about it. And I think about it weighing against what you just said. Like, I want to write something that's going to shift the cultural conversation. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel the same way. I think, you know, over the last three years, I say this a lot, but I found myself as the artist that I always really be. And that was really unintentional. It's not like I set out to become some sort of of the times that it wasn't my intention. It was just expressing what I felt like needed to be. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Last night was an interesting one in London. The Metropolitan Police in Trafalgar Square. And they were getting pelted with fireworks by the pro-Palestinian. From what I could see from the footage, they, they must have been in on the act because they weren't doing anything. There was didn't look like they were doing any arrests. And I seem to remember being chased down Whitehall by hundreds of cops in my stilettos and green cape. It's on, still on YouTube, 3.2 million views. And I was arrested. And then I was arrested later and they sent the helicopter and lots of uh, riot police in to get me they didn't get me that day but they got me later um and that was me a woman in her 50s with a pair of high heels on but no they were part of the guy forks night last night aka agents of the state a eh? metropolitan police political policing is it and you can only come down with your batons and your riot police the tsg on peaceful british citizens campaigning against lockdown oh do i sound bitter i don't think so Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in ten young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, 
medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back with Brad Skistimus from Five Times August. So, Brad, you were talking about the importance of music in these days. Unfortunately, it's when life uh, outside of music gets really, really bad, and we have things like tyranny descending upon us and wars and genocides and whatnot that all of a sudden music becomes extremely important again, right? I think so. You know, when you look at what was, what is in the mainstream and what's sort of been the mainstream, a lot of it is really just meaningless fluff. And um, I think that, you know, for some of us, just the times have pushed us to that limit where we made that choice to sort of come out of that, you know, that sort of that, and it's not a bad place to be um, when you're writing love songs and stuff that's, those songs are just as important and they have their own place. But I don't think there's been a place in art and music for a really long time um, to speak out and really say something to motivate people. I mean, the fact that I started out as a pop singer songwriter and I sort of, you know, I had a good run in my earlier years with a lot of MTV shows and TV and film commercial placements and touring colleges. And, and I kind of thought that that was it because you connect with people at a certain point in their life with music. And then they sort of turn off from trying to find new, new music. You know, they sort of, you sort of stick with what you grew up with and then you, you just keep kind of hearkening back to that. But the fact that I took that risk and you've taken that risk and all the others that are speaking up now took that risk. It's like you have a second chance to resonate with a whole new audience that is just so thirsty for something raw and true and real that aligns with their values. And, and that's a pretty, pretty cool thing in and of itself. How much do you think your own soul has evolved as a result of you not being afraid to use your voice? You know, I was looking at some videos that popped up um, in my memories from 2018, 2019. There were some live streams that I was doing, and I was—I just sort of skimmed through them, and I—I I saw myself, you know, as I was before this time, before 2020, where 2020 was really a transformative year for me for my soul that you're speaking about. And um, I've, I've changed immensely. I'm not that person I was in 2019 or even 2020 at this point um, or even 2021 at this point. Like it's, it's, a, it's a crazy time because I feel like every day I'm working out some sort of muscle for my soul that is getting stronger and more um, faith-based and 
um, just willing to risk more and more because I, I understand the importance of the battle at hand. That's interesting, man. I mean, there it is, too because think of the alternative i mean because obviously there was stern warnings against opening up what you really thought and and speaking truth to power or whatever you want to call it um but think of the alternative i mean think if you would have listened to the voice of fear that told you well you better just you know, you, you have a little bit of success here. You better keep doing it, doing this. You don't, you, you've got a family to think about. I mean, um, think of what, what that would have been like to stifle your own voice and how that would have sort of dismantled your growth. It's just an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, I run into this a lot when I speak to, um, those on quote unquote our side is that there's just, we all seem to have a moment of a, of a calling of knowing that you just had to, there wasn't really, and then I think that that was the thought was like, how am I going to look back on myself and, and come to terms with the fact that I didn't say anything. And so, you know, that, twisted something um, inside of me that said, well, you, you can't. There, that's just not an option. You have to say something. Um, and, and I think that every, every time I did say something early on where it, it, it was scary and frightening because it was so new, I would see the benefit of it. I would see the, the good that came out of that there would definitely be those, those, those negative things that came from me speaking out from it. But every time, uh, without question, it, the good would outweigh the bad. And so that's what sort of gives me the strength to keep leaning into it. Yeah. And if you hadn't, you would be literally taking yourself out of the conversation because it, you know, you're either busy being born or you're busy dying, like Bob Dylan says. And so if you take yourself out of the conversation, say, for COVID or for mRNA, then how are you supposed to participate in the conversation for Gaza and, and uh, Israel or Israel-Palestine or, or anything else that comes up that's controversial? You're constantly removed from the conversation. And I think it gets more and more difficult to then speak on relevant issues and so then as an artist you've sequestered yourself as somebody who can only write uh you know songs about the human condition and like you said i mean those are important too they really are i mean um you know the one we're about to play right now comes comes from the human condition it was written for a friend of mine in high school who got cancer and died and as a young person and um so the the it's a calling may god's love be with you always but uh i was speaking to you earlier today and i said yeah now it's maybe more about um a world that has gotten cancer and is dying i mean what what's your take on the song we're about to play and why did you want to do a version of it well it's just a beautiful song um 
And I think I had a moment with it when we were in the UK, you know, you weren't, you weren't with me. I was watching, I was watching your videos. So you kind of were with me, but I was just, uh, it, it struck me in a certain way. I started noodling the chords in, in the hotel room and singing it. I just thought people need to hear this again. Those words, may God's love be with you. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, my interpretation of it is, it's a lot of singing to God. Um, and, um, in, in certain lines, um, and that's how I feel about it. But that's the, the great thing about music is that you can, it, you can write it based on a certain life experience and over time it changes and can mean something to, in a whole new way, in a whole different lifetime. Um, and, and that's a really cool thing. So, and also a beautiful thing about this is that the friend that you wrote this song for, um, you know, her soul sort of lives on through the song and penetrates other souls um, as they hear it today in a whole new light. Absolutely. Uh, and the last verse of the song, uh, maybe you're not even sure what it's for any more than me. It is actually directly um, addressed to God, even in the song. But let's play it. This is Five Times August and Joseph Arthur with In the Sun. Always make 
And that is Joseph Arthur and Five Times August, or Five Times August and Joseph Arthur. It's either Five Times August featuring Joseph Arthur or Joseph Arthur featuring Five Times August. I don't know what it is. It's me and Brad, a couple of guys doing an emotional song. It sounds good, man. I, I like it. What do you think, Brad? Did we do a good job? I think we did a great job. I, I, I really love that it's like a, a really good, solid collaboration through and through. I said this on our, yeah. our podcast the other night with Steve Kirsch, but like, I love that <laughs> it was your song, but I had the idea to do it. And then we, we did the production. You did some production and got it rolling. And then I filled it in with some stuff and then you filled it in with more stuff. And then the vocals are split pretty evenly. And then you drew the pictures for the video and then I edited. I just really love that. And it's just you and me. And that's, that's really cool. 
Yeah, it sounds good, man. I'm, I'm, uh, it's moving. It really is. It's a moving, it's a moving version, and I'm glad you guided it the way that you did. Um, I originally sent you a, a faster version or a more strident version, and and you were like, oh, "That's cool," but I could tell it was it's like not really how I saw it. And then I was like, "I I I, I knew how you wanted it," and like so then, you know, we talked about slowing it down and then making it more sort of finger picky, and uh, it, it worked out great. I mean, um, it's fun, and it's also like fun watching you. Um, sort of put it out um online and following your moves with that a little bit because even though i've been doing this for a lot of years i always had a record deal i always had well not always i mean i was an independent but i always had people i always had a manager i always had a booking agent all this stuff and in a way i was kind of a victim of that level of success you know so i didn't know all the independent routes that you have to do to really promote your own thing and i'm kind of learning all that stuff now and i'm learning it through watching you i mean you're really good at that right you've you've developed quite a following on twitter or x and and but you're just i don't know you have a very good way of putting things out i think yeah, thanks. I mean, I've just gotten so used to it over the years. I, I, I've i been pretty much independent, an independent artist doing his own thing since 2001. So, you know, the only other sort of right-hand woman, I should say, has been my wife who helped me book shows and, and um, you know, over the years. And she would be, you know, on the road with me uh, back when I was doing all the college shows. Um, and, and by the time I was meeting with the major record labels about 2007, I wasn't even sure I really wanted to. The industry was changing so much. But long story short, I've just gotten so accustomed to doing things myself that I just have this sort of flow now that I'm very comfortable with. And, um, and it's nice. It's nice to do that. But I, I appreciate you... Uh, recognizing the the effort i guess <laughs> yeah no it's great and then we should also mention ain't no rock and roll is also out that's a brand new song as well essentially i mean i think it's like a month old or something like that i mean um this that's also cool i think putting out i think let's put out lots of songs man let's just keep doing it right i mean not, you know i'm trying to rope you into another collaboration already uh i don't want to like say it's a christmas song but it might be i'm trying to rope brad into a christmas song i don't know i haven't even written it yet maybe we'll write it together but uh what do you think about that you you got ain't no rock and roll and you got uh in the sun now what's next well it might be a christmas song joseph i don't know we're cutting it short <laughs> there you go christmas is, uh, you know really a month know. away all right I'm going to write it in the but, airport, um, dude. I'm going to send you something. Yeah, get it done. Get it done. We got to yeah. get on that fast. But, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't normally release music this fast from one song to the next, but um, I'm glad I did. I like that idea, just funneling out yeah. the songs and getting them out there. All right. Well, tell everyone where to find you, Brad. We got to cut this off because I got another guest coming on right after this. But uh, tell people where to find you and show me how we promote this song here too <laughs> yeah he got it 
You can follow Five Times August at fivetimesaugust.com. You can follow me on the X website, Twitter, at Five Times August, and Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And In the Sun by Joseph Arthur and Five Times August is out now on iTunes and Amazon. Go download it right now and keep it on those singer-songwriter charts. Yeah, we're in the charts. We're trying to push it up, the numbers. We're trying to get up there. So go download it off of iTunes. Thanks so much, Brad. Always a pleasure, my friend. I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Well, we're all fighting for medical freedom in general all the time, it seems like these days. Libby Klein is a lawyer, company secretary, and governance advisor, working mostly with not-for-profits and charities. In 2021, Libby was incredulous and then incensed to learn that doctors in Australia were being gagged from talking about early treatments and risk benefits of vaccines. This led her on a path of discovery, and she now spends most of her spare time researching the World Health Organization and having a lot of background noise, I think, uh, in her vicinity. Um, but uh, uh, so, hey, Libby, I think you got a lot of background noise going on. What's going on over there? You're at a conference, uh, Australians for Science and Freedom. Um, maybe can you get into a quieter location? I, I can, but I'll have to go through a noisier one before I do. So perhaps I'll do that uh, yeah, while you're talking in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Try try to if you can, because it's it's a bit full on, at least on my end. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Apologies. Yeah. Um Yeah, no worries. No worries. So, it's it's you're you're on you're on in the streets. It's exciting, Libby. It's oh. exciting. Tell us 
Tell us about what's going on. Report from the streets over there at the Progress Through Science and Freedom Conference in Australia. Oh, I will be. Okay. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Much better. Okay. Apologies for that. No worries. Yes. Where were we? Yeah, I was introducing you. You're at the Progress Through Science and Freedom Conference. You're a speaker there. You're you're primarily interested in um, dealing with the WHOs. Uh, well, why don't you tell us? You're they're, yeah, they're sure. trying to take yeah. away our freedom. So yeah, yeah. tell us what's going yeah. on. So I first um, became aware of a, a problem because I was having trouble finding a doctor back in 2021 who would have a proper conversation with me about risks and benefits of vaccines. And I thought that was a fairly straightforward expectation that I had that uh, my GP, or if not my GP, you know, some GP I should be able to readily find might be able to help help me with that. Uh, and I was having some trouble. And then someone told me that um, actually doctors in Queensland were being gagged and, and weren't allowed to have that sort of conversation with their patients. And I thought, well, that couldn't possibly be true. Um, so uh, I'm a lawyer by day, working in a completely different field, but I thought, um, well, I'll, I'll investigate that from a regulatory point of view. Um, and turned out that uh, at that stage that the regulation was just by press release, but we uh, duly, in, in good time, we changed our legislation here to allow for um, supposedly legal censorship of doctors, uh, which, you know, just outraged me because I want to be able to trust my doctor. And that led me on, as you said, a journey of discovery, which landed me uh, surprisingly at the WHO because, um, in fact, what uh, the proposed new powers for the WHO will mean that um, it's not just, as I say, just um, the Australian regulators who will be um, telling my doctor what they can and can't say to me and what they can and can't treat me with. It'll, in fact, be a binding obligation uh, on Australia and all the 194 other member nations of the WHO that we will all have to follow the dictates of the WHO during the next pandemic if the changes to the international health regulations flow through as they're expected to um, in March of 24 to take effect in May of 2025. So we'll be doing what Tedros, the Director General of the WHO, tells us to in our consulting rooms from May 25 if we don't stop that. Yeah, I keep hearing about this. Tedros, he's not an elected official, right? I mean, and this would give him an insane amount of power, right? That's exactly right. And um, actually in the chain of, I call it the chain of command, and, and I've looked at it from an Australian point of view, but the same thing would apply in other jurisdictions. The chain of command does not include any elected official. So uh, Tedros then, in, in the Australian case, issues the dictate to the chief medical officer in Australia, and then it just flows down through the various states and territories uh, and directly into my doctor's consulting room, um, you know, pretty much a hotline from Tedros to my doctor as to what can and can't be prescribed and what must be administered. It seems to me this is just going to open up a whole black market medical community because it, it, it like already is that people have lost all faith in, in the medical establishment compared to a few years ago. I mean, people trusted their doctors. A few years ago, I, I think, I mean, there was just an interview with Dana White, the UFC uh, guy. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was like talking about the fact that he would never go to a doctor for a health 
issue or for any health advice now at all. Uh, he said, if, if I broke a bone, if I needed surgery, sure, I would go to a doctor then. But outside of that, to get medical advice or to get any kind of sort of health, uh, you know, knowledge or know how you don't, you don't even go to doctors anymore. They're basically pill pushers and healthy people don't make good pill customers. Mm, mm. So sadly, I, I think that's true. And I think to the extent that um, people become aware of the reality, then people will um, seek health treatment from people they feel that they do trust. Uh, and increasingly, I, I agree that that person will um, be unlikely to be a doctor who is regulated um, by the regulators that uh, implement what the powers that be tell them to implement rather than looking genuinely at safety and efficacy of various uh, medications and uh, you know they're all focused completely the, the proposed new WHO pandemic treaty is completely focused on administration of vaccines and other treatments and and, and there is no mention whatsoever in, in all of the World Health Organization material about um, preventative health and you know lifestyle changes and positive things that people can do so if if it hasn't got a farmer price tag on it the WHO is totally not interested in it which is completely unsurprising because they get most of their um, funding from eight, more than 80% of the funding of the WHO comes in the form of voluntary contributions which can be uh, uh, donor directed in other words um, comes with strings attached uh, so we shouldn't be surprised if the WHO is pushing um, newly patented pharmaceuticals on us. That's their job. <laughs> That's their they're, well, they're, 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 they're the marketing Their business is the, the opposite of, yeah, their business is the opposite of telling you to go do a three-day water fast and cold plunge and don't eat sugar and don't, you know, because that takes them out of business because you'll get healthy because we have an immune system and our body is incredibly designed <clears throat> to yeah. be healthy. I, I once, um, probably 10 years ago, uh, had a consultation with a neurologist and she, uh, after some brain surgery, and she, she said, oh, you know, how are you going with your, all your meds? And I said, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm pretty good. I just take um, Panadol and go for a walk, um, and you know that tends to help. And she laughed at me; she thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, here we are. So, I mean, where do you think we are in this fight? Do you think it's going to go through? And do you think any of these doctors are going to have crisis of of uh, I don't know moral crisis because what we saw was the you know the medical community doctors in general stand down i mean there was sort of outliers peter corey dr peter mccullough robert malone i mean there's a few doctors that uh um came out and spoke uh, against this uh mrna injection and and talked about he natural healing modalities and whatnot but for the most part doctors just sort of uh, acquiesce to the the control of big pharma and and not questioning anything and not allowing people to have access to things like ivermectin and whatnot but we've also now lived through all that and i think a lot of us have woken up doctors included do you think that any of the doctors will push back if these uh if this thing goes through with the who 
Uh, I think the thing with the WHO will definitely go through because it has um, significant support um, internationally, including, yeah, just it, it, it'll happen. And, and it's important for people to realise there's two separate things going on, the pandemic treaty and the international health regulations. But and there's slightly different processes, but both both of them are very likely to be um, voted in in May 2024 at the World Health Assembly. Uh, but on the question of doctors and how they might react, um, so as you said, I'm at, I'm at a conference, um, Australians for Science and Freedom, and um, we've just had presentations from a, a doctor who's running a class action here in Australia. Um, and she was one of the points she made was that Melissa McCann was that doctors were gaslit uh, around the world and certainly in Australia. Um, and so, yes, many of them will have a, a, a terrible, terrible crisis when they realise what, what's happened. Uh, and the background noise, actually, that you could hear at the start of the interview was a couple of doctors in a breakout session brainstorming how they can communicate these very issues to doctors whilst minimising suicides. Wow. That's mind-blowing. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. crazy. These are, these are doctors uh, who've actually got plenty of time on their hands to do this because they've been suspended indefinitely for discussing uh, risks of vaccines with their patients. So they're, they're brainstorming how to communicate with doctors in a way which is not going to lead them to just be so disappointed with themselves and, and outraged at the system that put them in that situation where they've administered drugs that were unsafe. So is that, I mean, I, I definitely think that the, the mRNA injection has been killing a lot of people and, and deeply devastating to so many people and and maybe we're just not even seeing the, the full grasp of that just yet um is that sort of what's being talked about there where at that conference you're at i mean is everybody just say, saying the covid jab is poison and now we have to inform these doctors that they've done something horrific to humanity and that's what you're saying that they might want to try to kill themselves after that yeah, I'm afraid that is what I'm saying. There's, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the safety data at this conference because it's a, I guess, particularly well-informed audience, and um, so everybody's across the reports on excess deaths and the reports from the various safety databases, which make it very clear that um, there's a coincidence of in timing of the increase in excess deaths around the world with the rollout of the various vaccine campaigns around the world. Um, so this is, um, if in this particular conference, hasn't been a topic of debate, but rather something which is understood widely to be the case. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's just kind of like taken sort of for yeah. granted that that's yeah. the truth. Yeah. Taken, I mean, that's taken as read. Listen, that's how it is in my mind. It's it's, it's obvious. I mean, yeah. you you really just needed to see all the young people dropping dead. We've never seen anything like that. I mean, mm. we've you know, I'm 50, I think two now. I, I couldn't remember how old I was. You start yeah. getting so old, you can't remember how old you are. It's really <laughs> weird. I thought, am I 53? And I'm not. I'm 52. But anyway, uh, you know, um, I've never seen anything like that. And so anybody who has, you know, 
okay, we got this experimental injection. All of a sudden, all these young people are dropping dead of heart attacks. You got, you know, kids dying, all this. I mean, it's clearly the injection, you know, and then and now I guess there was in America anyway, a three percent uptake in the new boosters. So it seems like Mm. like it's not just your conference over there where people kind of know it goes without saying that the jab was poisoned, but just in the sort of collective consciousness of America anyway. I don't know what the uptake was in Australia. Do you know of the new yeah, booster? Yeah, it's been poor, which is fabulous. Yeah. That's good to hear. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, I'm glad you're doing that. I mean, what what else you got? I mean, what else are you going to talk about? What what are you going to say? How are you going to rile up the crowd? How are you going to, like, make sure Tedros doesn't get his way? I, I think it'll backfire even if if they sort of try to implement more and more control upon a, a society that already feels this way about this jab. I mean, they're basically going to make people go uh, in complete revolt, I think. Yeah, look, I think um, the dilemma that we have is that people, well, first of all, people don't believe me when I say that the WHO will be able to issue binding recommendations that people have to receive a particular treatment. Um, And then I show them the text from the amendments to the international health regulations, and there it is right there. Uh, But people can't believe that that, um, countries would implement such a thing, that they would cede sovereignty over their public health decision-making. And there's a lot of misinformation, if I can call it that, which is being put out by the WHO and by governments, including Australia's, where they give so-called assurances about, oh, no, don't worry, of course, that won't um, impact our sovereignty. Of course, only Australian parliaments can pass Australian laws and you have to pass domestic legislation for this to come into effect, so don't worry. Trust Uh, us. Just and, and trust. You can well, trust us. Yes, it's, why, it's why, just wait, totally why, false. <laughs> you, wait, you have a hard time trusting us? Or, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it, give me a break. Like, yeah, it's wait, totally. What, what years did we just live through? Excuse me, trust yeah. you? I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and people say, well, the, uh, um, look what happened during COVID without the WHO having these yeah. powers. Exactly. Um, All right, mm. Libby, I got to cut you off because we're about to yep. get to the news. But Libby Klein, thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks for, for having fighting me. the good fight. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT.